Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and I'm so delighted you've decided to join us. As always, there's always something great to talk about in the landscape and in the garden, especially this time of year, when so many different things are starting to really put out, really develop, and, of course, bloom. There's all kinds of things blooming. We've got uh, some Shasta daisies blooming. We've talked about those a few weeks ago. You definitely need to look into the Shasta daisies tends to be deer resistant from all we can tell and they just bloom 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 through summer some longer than others uh, but then of course butterfly bushes are blooming the butterfly bush everybody loves that plant there's so many different kinds of as far as colors go and now sizes there's dwarves that are coming out and maybe only get 24 36 inches tall what else is blooming of course some ground cover things are blooming like prunella uh, the uh, bella blue We've growing that one in the garden and at the nursery, and that's just a great ground cover that really covers quickly and blooms nonstop until frost. So, you know, this is a great, exciting time to be growing things, and I've got an interesting topic today to share with you. I hope you enjoy it. If you missed last week's program, well, don't worry, don't cry that maybe you slept in too late and missed the show right here on WRWH 93.9 FM every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. and a repeat broadcast at 8, you can also find the show online at NewSouthernGarden.com. Just go to any uh, uh, web browser, type in New Southern Garden, and you will find last week's show where we talked about my top tips for growing terrific tomatoes. That is the South's probably favorite vegetable crop, and there are some cool things you can do with tomatoes to make sure that you have the best crop you've ever had. So be sure to check that out at NewSouthernGarden.com and, of course, on Facebook and Instagram and on your smart devices. Wherever you uh, listen to podcasts, you can find New Southern Garden Podcast at your fingertips on demand. But enough about that. I hope your tomatoes are doing well. I hope that uh, you were able to take some of those tips from last week and apply them to your vegetable garden, your tomato patch, and be looking forward to having some wonderful, juicy, delicious tomatoes this summer. I've been reading an interesting book. It's been out for a couple of decades now, give or take. I think it was written in the early 2000s, and I don't remember how I came across it, but it's got an interesting name that we're going to sort of steal from for today's show. It's called A Garden from a Hundred Packets of Seed. You know, in many cases, yeah, it was just about 2001, so a little over 20 years now. Small little book, about a hundred and something pages, but it's well written, beautiful writing, and of course, it's got great information on a hundred different plants that you can start from seed. So in many times in the landscape, we may come across a new landscape bed. Maybe we have a border beside the house, uh, or maybe we have quite an extensive space. We just don't know what to do with, or 
Maybe we have such a large area and such a little budget that we feel like we just have to wait, gain some funds, <laughs> work hard to, to make some money to pay for some plants to go in those areas. There's a number of reasons why we don't maybe expand into new areas. But when we do or when we have a desire to do so, there may be some of these things kind of setting us back, holding us back a bit. And whether it's waiting about inspiration or getting the design just right, or if it's about not being able to spend so much money all at once to create that dream space that you've so long desired for, no matter the reason, I say today that one thing you could do is start to grow a garden from a hundred packs of seed. It seems crazy, but there are two reasons why you might do that. First of all, plants can get up and growing from seed uh, relatively quickly. Of course, some plants don't grow from seed as quickly as others. But you can, even on a budget, grow your own plants from 100 seed packs. You don't have to go and, of course, buy 100 seed packs. But the idea is that the, an entire garden could be created on just growing plants from seed. And that is a, to me, sort of a revolutionary idea because in today's world, we tend to, at least here in America, in the Southeast, we tend to outsource the growing of seeds, the propagation, the beginning of seeds to the landscape nurseries, to the garden centers. And we think, well, we've got to go there in order to buy baby plants. But of course, gardening and growing seeds has been around as long as gardening itself growing uh, plants from seeds has been around as long as gardening itself has and that means that that is just one of those duties one of those tasks in the landscape in the garden uh, that the gardener could be and maybe should be doing more of so instead of outsourcing the growing of new plants maybe give Give it a go yourself, right? Just like Eden Rose might say, give, it a go. give gardening from seeds a go. And I think that that would be one of the coolest things to do. I will say that even though I'm getting close to 100 packs of seed this year, this is the first year where I've undertaken the growing of many different kinds of plants from seed, not making cuttings from them, not dividing them, even though those are great ways to get more plants and particularly on a budget, essentially for free. I'm growing more, seed, more plants from seed this year than I ever had, ever have. And maybe it's the inspiration from this little book. Again, A Garden from 100 Packets of Seed by James Fenton. Be sure to check it out. Um, maybe it's at your local library or perhaps you could find it. Uh, I think I found this one on Amazon.com, of course. Um, you can find almost anything there. But regardless, the idea of this book, uh, Mr. Fenton, he goes through his chapters. He talks first about, uh, he, he writes about these plants uh, one at a time and he stitches them together with great writing, but uh, the first chapter, for instance, is about flowers you can grow from seed and different colors of flowers. And then the second chapter is growing flowers based on their size. So maybe big plants down to small, tiny plants. And then he talks about flowers that hop around and move around. They sort of naturalize in a space. Great for kind of woodland gardening. Uh, flowers for cutting, perennial plants, herbs, um, climbers, tropical looking 
uh, plants you can grow from seed. So the uh, it's really more like reading a story and sort of going on a garden quest with the author here, uh, Mr. James Fenton. Now, I want to take today as inspiration from this cool little book uh, and sort of go on the same journey with you, talking about different groups of plants that you can relatively uh, relatively easily and quickly find, even at your l- local garden center of uh, f- seed and feed. Uh, we're going to talk about certain plants you can grow from seed very easily, and of course, seeds that are easily and readily found. As a matter of fact, some of the plants I talk about today, I've already seen in some of the box stores, the feed and seeds, uh, local tractor stores, all of these places where you can find seeds, of course, at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where I spend my weeks and some of the weekends, <laughs> we have a good collection of seeds. Uh, and so these are plants that you can easily find and easily get growing. Now, of course, in the world of seeds, finding plants uh that you can source as seed, it can be a bit of an adventure too because there are plenty of online retailers, uh, um, online sources, suppliers who are growing all different kinds and varieties of different types of plants. And because of the internet, because of online shopping, we have access to so many different kinds of plants right at our fingertips. And again, one of the beauties of growing a garden in this way is that it's relatively cheap to get started. A packet of seeds could, could uh, let's see, I was at the Dollar Tree. I was at the Dollar Tree. They were selling seeds. I mean, they've really sold seeds as long as I can remember. But this time of year, uh, they have little packs of seeds and they were four for a dollar, four packs of seeds for a dollar. Now, of course, uh, they measure each packet differently. So you got to look at the milligrams uh, or grams. And of course, some seed are much larger and heavier and some seed are smaller and lighter. So depending on what you're looking at depends on how many numbers of seeds you're getting. But that's 25 cents a packet. And some of the plants they had there were really good. I'll tell you, I must confess that I picked up about $4 worth. That was 16 packets of seed just at the dollar dollar store. So there are plenty of places you can find these and again, plenty of pricing. Now, some seeds are more expensive than others. I have paid oh, for some unusual plants probably more money for a pack of seeds than I should have. And maybe uh, you can relate to that story, paying too much for plants. But the idea, of course, is that You can look at variety and you can look at budget and it's friendly in both ways. Trying to grow a garden, an entire space, maybe an entire bed just from seeds. So let's go ahead and get started. I've got a number of plants that I would encourage you to look into in order order to start this uh, garden from 100 seed packets today. And it's not too late. It is not too late to get started and growing seeds. You don't have, don't think that growing seeds has to start indoors in a sunny window in February or March. No, that's, that's a way to do it. But of course, that just gets you started early. Now is the time where you can grow your seeds outdoors, either in pots to get them started, or you can go to Growing them directly in the ground, directly in your garden beds. 
that is also great. And as long as you can identify your seedlings when they come up, because remember, when you plant seeds, there's also weed seeds in that soil that are surely to germinate about the same time as your beloved plants are. So you've got to be able to identify your seedlings versus weed seedlings so you don't remove your desired seed and leave the weed seedlings behind. Um, but you can get them started today, this weekend. Uh, of course, we've had some moisture and that helps to saturate the soil. Uh, when you're growing things from seed, making sure that those seeds stay moist, not too wet, but not dry out either. Because once the process of germinating seeds has begun, you do not want the seed or the seedling, the emerging seedling, to dry out. That will inhibit and stop the process of germination right there. As soon as you see those two little um, seed leaves pop up, that's when you know you can back off of the water. We don't want to drown them, and we also don't want them to dry out. Uh, so get started today with this. We're going to go through a quite a lengthy list, if I can get through them all, on easy-to-grow plants from seed again. What we're thinking about today is getting a garden started, even without having to spend a whole lot of money um, or, of course, have to have an exact design some of the great things about growing plants from seed is, you know, wildflowers can mix and mingle together and they can still be as beautiful as one of the most heavily designed spaces that you've ever seen. So again, if you've got a space that is, you don't know what to do with yet, but you want to see something beautiful there, try growing seeds. Or if you've got a space, but you can't put a lot of money in, try growing seeds plants from seeds. The first group of plants that we want to talk about are flowering plants. Let's talk about flowering plants because that is usually uh, what we look for uh, when we're growing plants from seeds. Other than we'll probably forego talking about many vegetables today. We're kind of looking at the artistic side, the, the beautiful side of the garden. Not that vegetables aren't beautiful, don't get me wrong. Uh, but the first group of flowering plants are the annual plants. These are plants that you grow in the spring, they grow, they bloom throughout the summer, and then of course they die in one season. One of the first groups of plants within this group are maybe some low growing plants. Let's start there. We're going to talk about a couple of plants that are just inches tall and they can be sown. Uh, these seeds can be sown right along the edge of a border, the edge of a bed, maybe even in a pot. Some of these, listen, some of these only get three inches tall. So after this break, we're going to get talking about growing your garden from a hundred packets of seed. Hang on tight. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone. So get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well.
So gang, today on New Southern Garden, uh, we are talking about growing your garden from 100 packs of seed. Now, of course, the inspiration for today comes from a little book by James Fenton, A Garden from a 100 Packets of Seed. And even though we're not going to have time to get through a (laughs) hundred, we might have time to get through about a quarter of that because we were talking about growing annual flowers, flowering plants from seed uh, before the break. And we are going to start with some very low growing, very low growing plants. Some of these only get maybe three to four inches tall. The very first one I want to talk about is alyssum. Alyssum. And I'll say, every time I see seeds at um, the Dollar Tree or Dollar General, somewhere that you don't necessarily expect to see seeds, but boom, there they are on some corner aisle uh, rack, they always have alyssum. And for good reason. Alyssum is easy to grow from a seed. As a matter of fact, you'll probably have some reseeding, which I don't mind that fact. Uh, Let the plant grow. Just don't take over, maybe. We can always pull plants out, but it sure is harder uh, to dig them in, isn't it? So the alyssum is one that tends to return just if you let the seeds fall at the end of the season every year. It's a very low-growing plant. It is essentially a ground cover. It sort of creeps, spreads. It doesn't get very tall, just three inches or so. And they come in a variety of colors, but particularly whites and purples. Uh, one of them that I'm familiar with is a carpet of snow, which you can imagine is just that. Pure white flowers, blooms all summer, creeps and crawls along the ground just a few inches above the soil. And of course, there's like royal carpet. That's what I'm giving a try this year. Royal carpet is another alyssum that is a rich purple, very beautiful color. Partner the white one, Carpet of Snow, and the Royal Carpet together, and you have a great ground cover. No need to go out and buy expensive perennial ground covers if you can't afford them this year. Just get some alyssum in the ground, let it creep and crawl in all of its low-growing splendor, and she will be a wonderful ground cover for this year. Then, of course, there's Nashtertium. Nashtertium. This plant I didn't know much of until my grandmother introduced it to me as a kid. Uh, She knew all about it because her mother, my great-grandmother, whom I never met, uh, but she would grow it in her garden. Now, Nashtertium is a cool plant because it is a great flowering plant, has these big round leaves, and the stem of the leaf is stuck right underneath the center of that uh, leaf. Very interesting. And it repels water. I know that. It's pretty cool. When you water them, uh, water will just drip off in large droplets. It doesn't adhere to the foliage. Quite waxy. But the leaf, uh, the flower rather, comes up out from the center of the plant uh, and sort of reminds you of maybe a wishbone flower, uh, a single solitary, uh, maybe foxglove kind of flower. But they come in a great variety of colors from oranges and yellows and reds and maybe some burnt um, rusty colors whites Uh, there's a great variety of nashtertium called alaska which has a green and white variegated leaf very beautiful and of course they're quite low growing not as low as alyssum a few inches taller than that maybe up to 12 inches uh, but they do tend to crawl and creep if you grow it in a pot it'll spill over the edge and could be your spiller could give you that great, interesting kind of blanket effect along the edges of your um, your containers. 
So nashtarsum can also be used as an herb. It's sort of a multi-purpose. Uh, other than its beautiful flowers that the pollinators love, you're going to also be able to eat the flowers. You can garnish them on salads. i Never tried it myself. Uh, they're a little spicy, I understand, in flavor. Um, but you can use them to color your salads and uh, great edible flower, great edible flower. Now, how about a low-growing zinnia? You know, we're going to talk about zinnia maybe later. Well, actually, we did a whole show on that, so we'll skip it. But, you know, for cut flowers, zinnias are wonderful, particularly, though, the tall and very straight stem varieties. Some of those could get three and four feet tall. Great for cutting. But if you don't necessarily need a zinnia with a tall, long, straight stem and you have a small patch or small area where something low-growing is is, uh, nearly required, be sure to look for Thumbelina, Thumbelina zinnia. As the name suggests from, of course, the old uh, folk story about Thumbelina, this is a very small zinnia, maybe only getting six inches tall. And usually it's touted because it will start blooming as high as only three inches above the ground. So Thumbelina, you you sow any zinnia, and in about three days, (laughs) the seed pack will say seven to ten days, but within a week or so, you will have a seedling in no time, just a few days. And so zinnias will get up and get growing quickly, especially as it gets warmer and warmer, as (laughs) wonderful time now. Uh, But the Thumbelina is nearly a ground cover type zinnia because it will be chock full of, uh, uh, well, maybe medium-sized flowers, not as big as the giant zinnias that you would expect in your cutting garden, but the color range on Thumbelina uh, is immense. You've got the whites, the yellows, the pinks, the reds, the oranges, the colors of every color of zinnia is in that Thumbelina mix, but super small plant. Now, some other annual flowers that are easy to get going, germinate quickly, uh, and will just bloom for you uh, include calendula, Calendula can also be used as an herb, but it's a daisy-like flower. We usually see great shades of oranges and yellows, and there are some sort of apricot pushing towards the pink, Um, but those are sort of uh, the standard color orange. When you think of calendula or pot marigold, you may know it by that name, it is definitely a true orange and some shades uh, to the left and right of that. Now, bachelor's button is a wonderful plant to start from seed. It germinates in just a few days. Uh, They're quite tall and upright. Um, These are in the Centauria group, uh, which is a wonderful group of plants. Now, the bachelor's button comes in blues, a good blue, not a, not a, they do come in purple, but it is a true blue and that's hard to find in the garden plants. And so be sure to look for bachelor's button for that unusual blue, but also like I mentioned, purples, some pinks, um, Maybe some reds or magenta, I should say, and then whites. Whites are great. Bachelor's button gets its name because in the Victorian days, the Victorian days, uh, it was sort of customary for single men when they go out to uh, maybe a gathering of some kind, a dance, some kind of party or dinner, they may slip this particular flower that we call bachelor's button into into their lapel, and that flowers that particular flower sticking in their uh, lapel would signal to the ladies that he was a single man he was a bachelor so it became known as bachelor's button and we still grow it today it is one that will try to reseed so let it have some space put it somewhere where you expect it to come back next year because even though the plant dies to the ground 
eat the seeds that that plant drops will germinate next year. Now, Nicotiana, Nicotiana, or Nicotiana, however you want to say it, maybe you hear a certain word in there. That is right. Uh, Nicotiana is the group of tobacco plants. Now, we're not growing tobacco that you, of course, <laughs> uh, don't want to get involved with. This is the flowering tobacco or the flowering Nicotiana. And the reason I bring this in is because Nicotiana is very, very fragrant. Fragrant Nicotiana. They do come in a variety of colors from whites to pinks to reds to purples, mauve colors, magenta colors, uh, some sort of greens to, um, I've seen some yellows. But the idea is that late in the afternoon, these tall, upright stems will be opening their flowers and you will get wafts of the sweet, fragrant smell in the garden. And Nicotiana, of course, is just an annual, so the best way to get it up and growing is to sow it from seeds. And again, that is today's topic on New Southern Garden, is growing your garden from 100 packets of seed. One of the last annual flowers that I'll mention is Cosmos. I think we mentioned Cosmos a few weeks back when we were talking about cut gardens, um, cut flower gardens, but still, Cosmos can steal the show. <laughs> they can steal the show in your uh, seed packet garden because of course they have those tall upright plants on wiry stems the flowers bloom on those wiry stems and the foliage is very fern like and that's one of the most beautiful aspects of cosmos despite the different shades of of flowers you get the idea is that ferny foliage so if you're looking for beautiful things in your landscape maybe can't afford to buy a whole bunch of plants or maybe you're just saving that space for something special try growing your garden from seed when we get back from this break more growing your landscape from a seed packet Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, gang, welcome back to the second half of New Southern Garden. On today's program, we are talking about growing your garden from a hundred packs of seed. We're not literally discussing a hundred different plant types, but of course, the inspiration for today's program comes from a little book, just a hundred pages or so. How ironic. It's called a hundred, it's called A Garden from a Hundred Packets of Seed by James Fenton. You can find some great plants in that book, some things I have never even heard of. I do believe it is written by an Englishman, and so sometimes the plants they use over there across the Atlantic Pond are going to be something we may not see much of here. But that's okay, because we can be introduced to new things by listening to gardeners from around the world. It doesn't mean everything other people around the globe grow, work here, but it does give us some good ideas and inspiration and, of course, some things to trial and error on. Now, just yesterday on Friday, I was uh, had the privilege, the honor to visit uh, a local elementary school. Actually, my mother, my late mother, who uh, worked there for a couple of decades, it was nearly 30 years, I guess. Um, she used to work there and got to speak to their uh, first graders. 
It was sort of a big event they do every year. It's their 40th Patriotic Day where they celebrate America. The topic was Georgia grown or all about Georgia. And we talked about native plants and some local things uh, that we use in the garden that do come from our woodlands. But then we did an activity where we actually sowed some zinnia seed. Zinnia are not native, but it is something easy to grow from seed. And of course, it's wonderful to be able to participate with young people to uh, just like my grandfather did with me when I was a young person. And he would show me how to plant tomato plants or how to uh, chop up potatoes to get them ready to sow in the ground and to be able to carry that on. So I want to encourage you while you're thinking about growing your garden from 100 seed packets, maybe involve some young people and show them how they can grow their own plants. Because you never know, one day they may need to be able to grow their own fruit and vegetables and of course, beautiful flowers. So before the break, we were talking about annual flowers that you can grow from seed easy, uh, easily. We were talking about the fact that many of these things today on today's program are easily found. You can find them in almost any store, including the dollar store. Like I said, I got four packs of seed for a dollar. That's 25 cents each. (laughs) You can't get much cheaper in the garden than 25 cents for a whole group of potential plant babies. Now, other than annual flowers, I want to talk about some annual vines. So these annual flowers are things that can be quite bushy, maybe upright. Some of those were low-growing ground cover-like plants. But of course, annual vines are important because with gardening, we may have a trellis, we may have an arbor, we may have a tree or something that we want a vertical emphasis on, maybe just a pillar or a pole in the landscape, something that we want plants to grow up and bloom on and show off vertically in the air. And vines are a great way to do that. Now, I'll start off with one of the most well-known vines to grow, uh, annual vines, that is, and that is the morning glory. Now, you may be turning your nose up. I don't know. I do a lot of times when I hear morning glory. Even though as a kid, I grew morning glory in little pots, put them along a little fence we had at the house. I do like them. They've got those trumpet-like flowers. It's sort of big heart-shaped leaves. But of course, morning glory can become a bit invasive. (laughs) If you allow every seed that comes onto your morning glory vine to fall to the ground, you can expect there to be some morning glories in that spot next year. So just keep that in mind that if you are trying to stay (laughs) weed-free, morning glory may quickly become one. And I even hate to talk about this one because my aunt battled with this particular vine. It is related to morning glory. It's in the Ipomea family or Pomea. Never know how to say that one. Um, But it's called Cypress Vine. Oh, if you know Cypress Vine, you probably are going to hate me for mentioning it. But it is an annual seed, uh, an annual plant rather, which can very quickly and easily be grown from seed. They have these very long trumpet-like, smaller than a morning glory, uh, but same style as morning glory and they tend to come in a very scarlet red nearly a cherry red and they are beautiful they are gorgeous flowers but they can get away from you 
and they can readily reseed year after year, causing maybe you maybe some um, some heartache. So before you jump on this heart red flower, be sure your heart is in the right place because cypress vine uh, is kind of crazy, but it does climb quickly. In one season, the vine uh, used to crawl up the entire uh, front uh, porch post of my aunt's house. And it did look beautiful because the foliage also looks like a fern. It's very cypressy like very small, tiny, little dissected leaves. That's great for texture. I don't know if I will try any of that in the near future, but it is a vine that works. Just be very careful. And this one, this next vine, I really do like. It, too, is in the Morning Glory family. But instead of a morning glory, it is called moonflower because the moonflower has heart-shaped leaves and it has up to maybe five-inch blossoms. We used to grow this. Um, we're actually going to be growing some this year at the house, uh, but we used to grow it in pots when me and my wife were renting a place when we first got married. And I let them uh, grow in a pot, grew up the front walkway porch steps and whatnot um, up the post there and at in the evening these flowers start to open and they are pure white so if you have a white garden or you want that moon lit garden moon flower is important uh, well it could be important uh, it does have very large white trumpet shaped flowers but of course um, the nighttime pollinators were always attracted particularly moths and things like that so we never think about the poor nighttime pollinators, do we? You know, we just hope there's some flowers open. But moonflower specifically opens for those nighttime pollinators because it doesn't open until sometime after 4 o'clock. Kind of like the 4 o'clocks do. <laughs> but uh, definitely a late night bloomer and super fragrant if you're going to grow it. Grow it on an arbor or a corner post on a porch, somewhere where you can enjoy it at nighttime. Whenever you come in and out from work, you come in in the nighttime and you walk out in the daytime, that's where moonflower needs to be. I think it's a little underappreciated. Even though it is in the Morning Glory family, and of course those seeds have potential to drop and fall, they actually have quite large seeds. You'll be able to, I usually pick them off just to prevent, but I never had uh, moonflower return year after year quite like Morning Glories. Now let's get out of the um, let's get out of the, uh, the, the, the I don't know where I meant my morning glory family and let's go to the bean family. You see, the bean family is full of very ornamental uh, plants. One of the first beans that I think of growing as a vine in the garden is scarlet runner bean. And I love this one because it goes hand in hand with our country, with our founding. As a matter of fact, Scarlet Runner Bean is one of the beans that Mr. Thomas Jefferson, President Thomas Jefferson, of course, he's former president, uh, but Thomas Jefferson grew at his Monticello uh, estate. And he has uh, descriptions on it. Uh, he has writings on it. He loved this bean. Not only does Scarlet Runner Bean bloom like it sounds, it has a red, beautiful red flower and, of course, a bean-shaped leaf with very strong uh, tendrils and vines that climb. Uh, but the Scarlet Runner Bean actually produces an edible bean. 
So this is a two-in-one, folks. I mean, I mentioned we won't talk too much about vegetables today, but this is definitely a plant that is going to uh, help you not just feed your soul with its beautiful red flowers, but it's also going to be feeding uh, your belly because you can eat these as a green bean or you can dry them and save them uh, for storage. Now, hyacinth bean. Hyacinth bean is great because uh, it does have a beautiful purple flower. And some of the hyacinth beans are going to also, they're going to also have maybe some colored foliage. We used to have a hyacinth bean years ago. I haven't seen it in a long time. Uh, but it had purple foliage and sort of these bright purple flowers, really attractive and really cool. And they grow quickly. Both of these beans, uh, beans grow very fast. They will crawl up a trellis or up a front porch post or wherever you put it vertically uh, in no time. And the great thing about ve- beans, why do I keep saying beans, vines? beans. The great thing about beans is that they are legumes, which means that they don't require a lot of nutrition. You don't have to fertilize them heavily because they they fix their own nitrogen to eat and consume, if you will, from the atmosphere. So they get all of most all their nitrogen needs right in the air. They literally are eating air. It's crazy. So be sure to think about some vertical attraction in your garden packet your seed packet garden by using some vines i'm getting so excited i'm talking over myself now let's talk about some herbs i do want to go into some herbs you're really going to have to check out james fenton's book a garden from 100 packets of seed for a lot of uh more information that really you just could not contain in one show um, because he breaks it down into many different groups and herbs is one of those groups and just a few that I would recommend to you to look into is going to be basil. If you eat basil you might as well grow basil but basil has a really pretty leaf. If you don't eat basil you could still grow it for the foliage. Now basil does bloom. If you're trying to harvest it for its uh, for its leaf and stem for maybe using in the kitchen, then you don't want it to flower. But it does have a tall spike of flowers, sometimes whites, pinky, purples, and it can be very beautiful. And there's so many different basils. Some basils have red leaves, uh, purple leaves, if you will, and uh, variegation. Some basils have variegation. So basil is just a super easy plant to grow from seed. And the hotter it gets, the faster it grows. Now thyme, thyme and oregano. Let's group these together. Thyme and oregano are these Mediterranean herbs. They like it hot, but they sort of like it dry, which works for us in the South, but they make great container plants as well. And to me, they're both beautiful. Many of the times have small little leaves uh, that give you that kind of soft texture and the oregano too. Uh, but some of the oreganos can have an odd colored leaf. Uh, we at the nursery have a uh, oregano that has a yellow leaf. And of course, you crush the leaves, you chop it up, you taste it, taste like pizza. (laughs) But regardless, those two can be relatively easy to grow from a seed. And both of those, both of those, at least in our area, are perennial. So you don't have to grow them but once. And you can make cuttings and you can divide them and they will return year after year. Now, parsley, of course, kind of like basil, they have a great texture, very curly, frilly foliage, but that is an herb that is, again, super easy to get going. Now, parsley, of course, doesn't love the heat of summer. You may give it a break in the afternoon, but even if you grow parsley into the second year, you will see the parsley flower. Parsley is a biennial and it's going to 
put out its leaves one year and then put out its bloom the next. And parsley is in the carrot family. And anything in the carrot family is beloved by the swallowtail caterpillars. They will eat it up and you will be feeding baby butterflies by growing parsley. Don't forget about chamomile because it's got that feathery foliage. But of course, it's a great herb. You can make some teas out of it. But I love chamomile, of course, for that white flower. It's just a beautiful plant, but of course, fragrant and does have some culinary uses as well. Now, give lavender a try. I have grown this year lavender from seed. It is quite difficult. Lavender has to be stratified, which means that the seed has to go through a period of moist and cool temperatures before it breaks its dormancy and starts to grow. So you've got to get a little creative. Uh, maybe you may have to you know, hone in on your skills with lavender. I surely am. I'm not too successful at it, but I will say out of maybe 400 seedlings, I've gotten most of them to get going. So gang, uh, after this break, we're going to talk about some more plants you can grow from seed for your seed packet garden, and we'll talk about perennial plants. You grow them from seed this year, and they return next year on their own. Hang on tight. We'll be right back with more. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. (laughs) At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. Well, gang, of course, that was little Eden Rose. She's not so little anymore, but she is. she's going to be four in September. She is giving us the go, or she's encouraging us to give growing a garden from seed packets a go. Like I've told you before, uh, I've been reading this book, A Garden from a Hundred Packets of Seed by James Fenton, and it just sort of inspired me myself to get out and actually grow a garden from nothing but seedlings that I've grown. And of course, there's there's satisfaction in that, gratification, knowing that you have been the one who started that plant from a little speck of what looks like dust and developed an entire garden of that. Now, we'll see. We'll see. The seedlings are still growing. They're looking good. We've had some nice weather for them, uh, but they're still growing. So we'll see how the rest of the summer goes, but I think it's going to be gorgeous. It's going to be delicious, too, because, of course, we were just talking about herbs, things like basil, thyme, oregano, parsley, chamomile, and even lavender. These are all things you can grow from seed and relatively easy even though lavender is a little more uh, difficult to uh, get started you can still give it a go um, but other than we've talked about flowering plants the herbs of course and flowering vines all of these have been annual plants that means you are going to sow them this year that plant will bloom it will be beautiful until frost and then as soon as frost comes it'll get wiped out 
well, some of the herbs were perennial, but they'll get wiped out by the frost and you'll have to start over. I have mentioned in some cases that some of these plants will drop seed over the summer and into the fall that will settle to the ground if you don't remove them from the plant first and they may volunteer to come back and grow in your garden spaces next year. So be careful if you do or do not want these volunteers next year, be sure to deadhead and remove any spent flower so that the little uh, seed, uh, the fruits of the plant won't fall to the ground. But on the other hand, there are a number, there are a number of plants you can grow that are perennial that are easily grown from seeds. I've got a short list here today, but these are sort of my top list because I do like them. And of course, the pollinators like them. Your garden will like them. uh, And they will come back year after year for uh, several years. Not Maybe not forever, but many of them, if they are divided and cared for, uh, perennials will return nearly indefinitely. You just got to show them some love. Now, the first one is probably one you've tried yourself to grow from seed, and that is coneflower. Now, coneflower is a great native plant, particularly native plant. Echinacea is the name that we call it, or the the botanists call it, the plant biology people. But echinacea or coneflower, native to the southeast and other parts of the U.S., they have been hybridized, they have been bred, and we are getting some selection of seed from some of these hybrids. So instead of just a tall purple coneflower, now we're getting reds and yellows and oranges and whites. And of course, doubles. If you've never seen a double coneflower, be sure to look it up uh, online. Maybe go ahead and purchase some seed if you see it there because the doubles are really cool and interesting. They not only have the standard petals around the center cone, but they also have petals mixed in right in the middle. And it's a really cool effect. I will say that some of the doubles don't seem to be as good of a perennial as others, but uh, give it a try. Now, its sister native plant. A sister native plant of coneflower that partners well with coneflower is the black-eyed Susan or rutabecchia. Now, there's a number of rutabecchias. Some rutabecchias tend to be annual, but be sure to look for uh, rutabecchia, fulgita, uh, and some others. Those are black-eyed Susans that are quite good perennials, particularly a black-eyed Susan called Goldstrum. Goldstrum has become the standard, and it is... It, it does not disappoint. It's got the classic dark eye surrounded by those golden yellow petals. Now, we've already talked a few weeks ago about the variety of Shasta daisies that you can find. Now, Shasta daisies, I'm not going to belabor this point because, of course, you can find our Shasta daisy episode. I think it's called All About Shasta Daisies online at NewSouthernGarden.com or any of your favorite podcasts podcasting apps Uh, but of course shasta daisy is the daisy for the garden it is it it, you can't find shasta daisy in nature it's a hybrid with maybe three or four different parents huge flowers some of the plants some of the varieties are quite tall maybe three and four feet but some of them are quite short between 12 to 24 inches and so the uh, shasta daisies are great to go for classic daisy flower tall strong stems a yellow center and white petals surrounding it. You can't get much better than Shasta daisies. Like I said, ours are blooming uh, now. At the beginning of the show, I mentioned our Shastas are starting to bloom, and I'm loving it. Now, another great native, it's, it's wonderful, the number of native plants that are 
perennial, or rather the number of perennials we use that are native. And that is Coreopsis or tick seed. We talked a couple of weeks ago about the fern leaf or feather-like foliage uh, tick seed uh, Coreopsis, but there are so many other varieties of Coreopsis out there. And what I'm starting to see more and more of are beautiful color patterns on the leaves. Uh, Sorry, on the petals. So, of course, Coreopsis in general is yellow, sometimes sort of orange, sometimes red, sometimes uh, whitish, creamy colored. But now we're starting to see sort of uh, uh, splashes of two colors on the petals, and that's starting to look really good. Uh, Sometimes we see some great pinks with yellow. Sometimes we see some great yellows with reds and orange with yellows, and they're getting these nice painted looks. It's quite unusual, quite ornate. I don't know that I would use a lot of them in the landscape, but again, today we're talking about growing a garden from nothing but packets of seed. So if you happen to find any Coreopsis, just know that you can plant it this year, It will grow and it will bloom beautifully this first year if you take care of it. (laughs) But then, of course, after the winter is over, once it's uh, coming out of dormancy, it will return. You don't have to um, uh, replant Coreopsis year after year. To me, it's the perennial version of Cosmos. All right. They have a very similar looking flower, um, but I just love them. Of course, uh, they will reseed some of the old fashioned kind of the species Coreopsis. They'll reseed and populate and naturalize. But in some areas, let them do it because they are a native plant and, of course, great plant. Great for pollinators. Now, the last plant I'd like to talk about today, if time allows for no more, is yarrow or achillea. I think we've talked about this before, but of course, yarrow is that classic kind of flat top flower, sort of that humble shape. The stems rise off of a strong stem, spread out, fan out, and you have this uh, flat top of a cluster of a ton of tiny little flowers. Now, yarrow can be quite tall. Some of them may be two feet to three feet tall. So if you have the taller varieties that you like, be sure to put them towards the back of your border. But of course, there are some newer varieties that are being bred for dwarfness. There's one called Little Moonshine, which is a bright yellow color. Um, it actually is the little sister of Moonshine. So Moonshine is already kind of short, but little moonshine is just a few inches tall, maybe no taller than 12 inches. So you can find them in a variety of sizes. And let's just talk about the colors. The colors are outstanding because, of course, we've got uh, pinks and whites and yellows and purples and all those kinds of things. And uh, the colors go on and on. And you can propagate them well. They creep and crawl. Well, gang, I hope that you've enjoyed today's program. If you're limited on space, maybe limited on budget, or just don't want to jump into something try growing a garden from a hundred packets of seed it's time to give it a go for wrwh and new southern garden i'm nathan wilson hoping you stay well and grow well see you next week hey thanks for joining us for this edition of nathan wilson's new southern garden show if you have a comment about today's program you can reach out to nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. also get more information at newsoutherngarden.com join us next saturday on local news radio 93.9 fm and am 1350 for nathan wilson's new southern garden show 